Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Guy Ritchie's new film, The Gentleman, a very uh, return to British form for our hopeful director. We're also going to look at Netflix's The Two Popes, now that its two stars, Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price, have both been nominated for Oscars for their performances in this film. We felt, you know what, it's probably worth watching this little itty bitty Netflix movie, so we took a look at it and we're going to let you know whether or not it's worth your time too. We're going to talk about... Uh, <laughs> Something kind of bleak coming out of China, uh, and you might know what we're getting into, and and it's a little it's a little cheeky where we're going some, with it. Some gallows it is, gallows humor. It, it, uh, <laughs> let's call it that. Before we get to that, we need to of course talk about the news. Uh, our first thing we don't have this on the outline. And I probably should have told Andy about it, but we took last week off, uh, and that one's my bad. I went to Atlanta uh, for a work gig that came up last minute. We decided to can the show. Uh, I still need to watch Doolittle uh, with my lovely wife, Christine, uh, but this week we're not covering that. Sorry, folks. We'll get to it, though. I've heard mixed reviews, two good things to people uh, who have actually listened to the show. And, and by the way, I hope we've got a couple of new listeners. So if you're out there and this is your first time listening to the show, thanks. We appreciate it. Uh, and I'll tell Andy more about that later because he doesn't know anything about it. But. Uh, that being said, we should move on to the news. Our first story, the Transformers franchise is getting a revamp with two separate new films in the works. Yes, Michael Bay's exciting action epics about cars that turn into robots. Uh, they're making more of them because, of course, they are. Andy, uh-huh. any hot <laughs> takes on this? What do you know? Well, it is important to know that this is not a Michael Bay helmed uh project either one of them he left the franchise after uh the transformers the last night which was the last kind of big one he he did with dinobots and and whatever else um that film lost a hundred million dollars so that's kind of when he bowed out and then they did remake they did kind of a soft reboot with the bumblebee standalone film which was a much smaller budget smaller film but was a much better uh, m- better received and it made a lot of money and so they're moving forward now with uh, a film that's I think going to be in the Bumbleverse and then also also a newly a newly like a, a new basically Transformers reboot that which will kind of recast or pro- re- redesign all, all the characters start for, start fresh with the Transformers franchise. So they've been making these movies since 2007. Uh, Michael Bay made five of them. And then they made Bumblebee, which was the newest one, which came out in 2018. So out of these six Transformer films, Andy, how many have you seen? I think I've seen the first two and a half. I, I think have, oh, and, maybe, and Bumblebee. Yes, I think I've seen the first two, and I think I kind of half-watched the third one on a college dorm room television once. Uh, I, I'm not at all caught up with these movies, uh, similar to the fast and furious movies. They kind of just lost me somewhere along the way. Not that they're not made for people. Uh, they are just not really my kind of movie. We're, we're, we're more in the, into bold cinema. You understand, uh, quality films. Uh, uh, but yeah, the, the box office numbers are certainly hard to deny. Obviously it's the reason Paramount is making more of these things because they make a lot of money. Um, Bumblebee made $465 million in 2018. Obviously they're going to make more, right? Yeah, and and you know I think they've realized that while you can make a lot of money doing crash bang uh, movies, uh, they have a limited lifespan. You know, five movies in in the age of Marvel with twenty two films isn't really a lot. So um, <laughs> yeah. I think they're realizing that if they want to make five, ten, fifteen films, possibly, then you you got to make better movies. 
Yeah, and you're, you're totally right. Like, in the age of comic book movies, how were the cars turning into robots movies not more popular? Um, it's a very good question. Uh, one more thing before we move on to our next story. These movies, the two movies they're working on making, these two Transformers movies coming up, one is being helmed by a guy named J- James Vanderbilt, who most recently was involved in producing Ready or Not, uh, that kind of horror um comedy picture we saw that actually wasn't that bad in my opinion and the other one is being worked on by a guy named Joby Harold who most recently produced John Wick chapter 3 just just to give you an idea of where these movies are coming from uh, those are the guys who are working on them our next story uh, Universal and Bloomhouse developing a new version of The Thing that will adapt long lost original novel Uh, Andy what do you know about this story Um, so what was it? Yeah, Universal and Bloomhouse is working on a a remake of the 1980-81 classic, uh, The Thing. 82 one of our, classic. But yes, 82 yeah. classic, thank you. Yep. One, of, one, of, one of our favorite horror movies that I only saw a few years ago. And apparently, and I didn't know this, it, so it's based on a short story from 1938. Um, and apparently, that was actually part of a larger work by a science fiction author, John W. Campbell, who actually wrote an entire novel called Frozen Hell, which a slice of it or a small part of it was taken um, for The Thing, which th- they made a 1951 version of the film. And then, of course, a 1982 classic. So um, as n- as not a hardcore fan of The Thing, I'm a fan, but as not quite as hardcore as, as some of us. Um, I think this is exciting. I, I am interested to kind of learn more. I've really only, I think I've only watched the thing like once, like seriously. So I probably need to watch it more. But Zach, I know you have some hot, hot takes on this. I do. Yes. I'm over here waiting anxiously for my turn to speak. Uh, John W. Campbell, uh, John, w., John W. Campbell Jr. Uh, wrote a short story called Who Goes There that was published in 1938 in a science fiction magazine. Uh, that was the basis for the 1951 The Thing from Another World, the, the movie. Uh, later, John Carpenter remade that movie into The Thing in 1982. That's the movie I hold so near and dear to my heart. Uh, turns out John W. Campbell Jr. actually wrote kind of an entire novel around this short story, Who Goes There, and the, and and... Now the novel's been unearthed. A version of it was found. There's a Kickstarter out to fund the release of it. Like Andy said, it's called Frozen Hell. Certainly interesting. Uh, If you've seen the 1982 The Thing, uh, this novel will expand on probably things like where the thing comes from, what it's really doing, maybe what happens after the scientists are kind of... After they have to deal with the thing uh, in Antarctica, um, man, I I love the thing. I love John Carpenter's The Thing so much. It is probably my favorite monster movie uh, ever. I saw it uh, for the first time sophomore year of college. Um, that was 2012, which was 30 years after it came out. Yeah. Now it's now it's 2020, which means it means it's a 38 year old film. But 30 years after this movie came out, it still scared me. And I still think for people who haven't seen it before, it will still do that. And that is not an easy thing to accomplish for a horror film full of props and <laughs> glue and other goofy, like, yeah, uh, I, other ways they made these monster effects work. It, like, it works so good as a movie. Yeah, I, I was really amazed when I, when I saw it for the first time just a couple of years ago. At, at yes, the the practical effects because they're so gross and they're so disturbing. Even now, like you said, almost forty years later, uh, yeah, it's incre- incredible. And I can only imagine seeing that in the theater in 1982 when you didn't have when you weren't spoiled by CGI or other kind of really top notch effects. Like they still hold up. They're still really creepy and they're still really disturbing. 
So you might remember, I think in 2014, and I agree, yes, 100% yes. Um, so about 2014, Universal actually did kind of a sequel remake to The Thing. I think it was 2014. Also called The Thing, um, which was supposed to be a prequel to the events of John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, it was originally shot with a lot of practical effects. Um, they ended up going over all of it with CGI because apparently test audiences didn't like the practical effects. Ultimately, it came, it went, it fizzled out. Nobody really thought anything of it, but it was supposed to be kind of a, a, a reboot or reimagining of the events of the thing because it follows a very similar story beat. Um, and this is really where my problem is with Universal and Bloomhouse remaking the thing. Uh, Bloomhouse has made some incredible horror films. Uh, they have. They've been making horror films for over 20 years. They've made things like Get Out, Paranormal Activity, The Purge, which is now like a, a whole franchise, Insidious. They've made some good stuff. They've also made some terrible uh, movies. So it's worth mentioning that Bloomhouse is, is neither here nor there. Universal, however, has already tried to re reboot this property. Man, I, 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 I just, I don't know if there's any, if it's worth going back to that well, you know? Why try to reboot what already works so well? I mean, I think it's just, it's been almost 40 years, you know? It's just one of those right. things, you, you can update everything, you can update the, the cat, you can use a new cast, you can use modern stars, modern effects. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's like, you know, it'd be, you would be hard-pressed to remake Alien. You know, yeah. it'd be hard hard to capture. So this is definitely in, in that vein. I am excited for kind of these new chapters or this extra backstory. That that is appealing to me. Yeah, I I'm interested to see where that goes. I I think part of what makes the original film so charming is it's one of those it's one of those horror movies where you never really find out, right? You never you never really find out the motivation of the monster or the alien. You never even really find out where it comes from. And like that's what makes it so yeah. intriguing, the mystery. I mean, I mean, people still have arguments about, you know, the very end is who who is who is the thing at the end? Is it Keith David or is it uh, Kurt Russell or is it neither oh, yeah. of them or is it both sure. of them, you know? Like or is it both of them? Yeah. You know, like it's still um be, that's still debated to this day and i think that's yeah. an incredible thing for a film um, to do it's true i watch it every october in in the horror movie list uh, for stuff to watch i i think the world of john carpenter's the thing if you have not seen it i would highly encourage it otherwise keep an eye out for the sequel i guess i'm sure we'll report on it more because i'm i'm already hot under the collar about it but we should move on <laughs> to our first film of the episode andy has graciously agreed to take the summary on this one andy please take it away the gentleman I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray, man. Right. Lovely. So this is the latest Guy Ritchie gangster film uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Michelle Dockery, Jeremy Strong, Lynn Reen, uh, Colin Farrell, Henry Golding. It's an A-list cast. Uh, looks great. And uh, Guy Ritchie, of course, made kind of cut his teeth in the late or kind of mid to late 90s on the gangster film, particularly like the Brit the very British gangster film, uh, films like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and the more American version Snatch, which is still it's the more American version, but it's still like all British people just about. Um, so this is kind of a little bit of a return uh, to form. And uh, we start the, the film with we meet Fletcher, played by Hugh Grant, who's a, his slimy kind of tabloid journalist who's kind of playing both sides. He, you know, he's trying to get 
dirt on uh, on the mob to sell it to the tabloid, but then he's thinking, well, you know, maybe the, the mob can pay me more. So he sits down with uh, Charlie Hunnam's character, Ray, who's like kind of the first lieutenant in this uh, organized crime ring, and he sits down to tell him what he's got. And while he, he's he's kind of uh, laying the land of, of, you know, the photos and, and recordings and all this evidence that he has, we learn our, our cast of characters. We have uh, Matthew McConaughey plays Mickey Pearson, who's kind of the big bad gangster who's uh, been in the game for 20 years, but he's looking to get out. He's He has this uh, vast marijuana empire that he's trying to sell off uh, to another uh, financier. But then everyone's playing each other. Everyone's kind of behind, working behind each other's back. You don't really know who's telling the truth, who's not, what really happened. Um, and so that's kind of the world we're, we're brought into. And, you know, being a Guy Ritchie gangster film, it brings a lot of style, a lot of colorful characters, a lot of uh, fun action sequences, uh, but it's also got some some issues, and what we're going to get into that. So, Zach, what do you think? Uh, I think, one, uh, fantastic summary of Guy Ritchie's past and what he's been up to, <laughs> and, and kind of this return to form for him that's important to establish, too. Man, I really like Guy Ritchie's kind of former body of work. Uh, I, I enjoyed things like Sherlock Holmes, even... Sherlock Holmes 2 was not that bad. Aladdin, I kind of stumbled over. But overall, I, I've liked what he's done. But my favorite stuff from him is the old school. It's things like Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Rock and Rolla, which is an incredibly underrated movie. If you've not seen Rock and Rolla, I cannot encourage you enough to go check that movie out. Um, so this is a really, really kind of cool step for him. Step back into, hey, here's what I know. Here's where I came from. Uh, it's a little like Kevin Smith making an old uh, uh, View Askew universe kind of film. Uh, that being said, I like this movie a lot. And and maybe I was kind of slighted on the way in. Like maybe maybe that was just going to happen no matter what. It does have problems and it's worth addressing those. But it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tumble down a rabbit hole. Right. And into kind of a, an Alice in Wonderland style adventure of crime and debauchery and men wearing very nice tailored suits. And, <laughs> and you know, for two hours at the movies, that's a great escape for me. It was a great step out of out of my life and into a place I've never been with characters who are charming and well acted and pretty well directed. And while it's got its stumbles, The Gentleman, for me, is a very fun film. So we should get into the movie proper. Andy, please, you're helming this one. Uh, where do you want to start this thing? Um, let's start with our, our cast of characters because, uh, I, I, for the record, I really... I enjoyed this film a lot more than I thought. I, I didn't think I would because I had heard a lot of kind of mixed reviews and some somewhat negative reviews. Um, so I went in with low expectations, but I actually, I had a lot of fun and, you know, I can't, can't deny having a good time at the movies. Yes. Um, so yeah, we meet Fletcher played by Hugh Grant with, with a very overtly British accent, but kind of a, a lisp as well. And he's just, he's the slimiest slime ball and he's trying to play both sides and he's, um, yes. you know, you know, he's he's narrating. He, he's our narrator of this tale, and he introduces our cast of characters. Uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey is the. Uh, he kind of looks like he he does in every commercial he's in. Like if it's, I was gonna like, say, if it's Matthew McConaughey playing a Lincoln, Lincoln Continental commercial. Yes. Yeah, I mean he he's got uh, like he's got really nice clothes, really well manicured. He just he he walks like the boss uh, kind of thing. Um, Charlie Hunnam, of, of course, plays the uh, the Lieutenant Ray, and then we we just meet we meet a lot of other uh, colorful characters. Henry Golding plays uh, Dry Eye, who's kind of a rival uh, from th this kind of Chinese 
uh, kind of organized crime group. Um, everyone just has like a very kind of funny accent, or you know, there's something unique about them yeah. that, that that just. The, the the characters are memorable and like those older movies uh, snatch and lockstock uh that that was part of what made those movies so good yeah i i'm in stark agreement uh <laughs> just to kick off the film we've got our hugh grant just chewing the scenery and i love it and and you can tell he's having a good time and cutting up and he's pretty good in this movie uh charlie hunnam is very concentrated and quiet and 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 very specific and he's fantastic as ray matthew mcconaughey is kind of playing Matthew McConaughey, but he he exudes confidence, which is exactly what he's supposed to be bringing to our role. Um, Henry Golding, as our kind of uh, somewhat antagonist uh, dry eye, is really good. You you would have a hard time believing the very, very charming uh, romance (laughs) interest in Crazy Rich Asians plays a really good bad guy, and he's actually pretty good. Um, And I enjoyed that, even with his fake teeth, which was kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Colin Farrell appears in this movie in kind of a small role. Uh, uh, Eddie Marson is in this film. It's it's a Guy Ritchie cast, right? It's gonna it's gonna be bringing hey, here's a lot of people who are pretty good at this stuff uh, into the fold in to play really interesting, unique characters. They're all dressed differently and have different accents, and I think they did a great job. I I, I didn't really have problems with anybody's performance in this film. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, good acting all around, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the one thing that, that kind of doesn't work for me is we get great characters and we have good set pieces. Like we'll have good sequences that are about five to 10 minutes long, but kind of stringing the whole um, story together is where this falls apart a little bit for me. Yes. Uh, I started to realize probably about 20 minutes into the film. I was like, okay, when when, when are we going to wrap up the, the Hugh Grant plot line here and just get to like the goods and it's it's like the whole movie almost yeah. the whole film is is him talking to ray about what he thinks is going on uh in the past and, and kind of walking us through how we've gotten to current events which is a neat way to tell a story but ultimately it's just kind of tired and after like a half hour i was like okay i'm ready to just kind of get caught up here yeah same thing i thought he was gonna kind of set up the the story but he kinds of yeah he play he tells like 70 percent of it and then we kind of get into real time after that and so it, it kind of it should either be him narrating the entire story or they should just be playing it out from in real time from the beginning. And we kind of get a little bit, and it, it, it gets a little confusing because you'll have characters talking and like Fletcher will say, well, this, this is how this went down. And then Ray will say, well, actually that's not how it happened. And so you, you'll, and you'll this is shown on screen. So you'll see, it's almost like the Rashomon uh, thing where you'll see something happen. And then he's like, no, it actually went down like this. And you see the exact same scene again, slightly different. Um, so there were a couple of points where I got a little bit lost with that. So, and again, that just comes back to the this the overarching storytelling being a little kind of confusing right uh, our, our narrator is unreliable like you said uh, Fletcher the the reporter is saying telling what he thinks has happened to get to where we're at and our character Ray is essentially fielding that and saying no 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 here's what really happened so you have stumbles you have points where information is incorrect and then you find out later that actually it happened this way which is charming in storytelling that's engaging and it keeps you interested but also in a two hour film at some point, you're like, okay, let's, let's get rid of the guy who doesn't really know what's going on and get to what's really happening. And and that's a little tough. I, I enjoyed that. Cause like I said, I, I like the kind of tumble down the rabbit hole that guy Ritchie sets up in these films, uh, these kind of films. Um, but definitely not for everybody. And it seemed to me, people in the audience with me at the movie, at the movie uh, screening out and saw were a little, 
I don't know. I heard a couple sighs. I heard some people are just like, okay, like where, where is this <laughs> going? You know, but different strokes, for different folks. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, I lost my place, but I wanted to talk about Colin Farrell a little bit. So he plays this, uh, he's just called coach and he has this boxing gym, uh, where he, you know, it's kind of taking lads off the street to, you know, train them to box and, you know, put, point them in a, a positive direction. But they're also kind of their own small ga- gang operation themselves. Like their their boys will go out and like rob people or they're kind of for hire thugs. And because they know how to fight, they're, you know, particularly uh, dangerous. So it's a really interesting uh, character because he kind of against his will, Kellen Farrell's uh, gets swept in into the, this uh, overall all story, um, in which he doesn't really want to be involved, but he's it, because of some of the actions of his uh, his kids, he is. Yeah, like another another charming element of, of a good guy Richie tale, right? Multiple groups of people all vying for the same goal or similar interests, right? Uh, it's definitely a thing in Rock and Rolla. It's definitely a thing in uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, Snatch. It's the same kind of thing, right? So you've got kind of Matthew McConaughey's gang. You've got Henry Golding's kind of gang. And then you've got Colin Farrell's kind of gang. All kind of working towards the same goal, which is power. Um, it turns out Colin Farrell's coach plays a little bit of a, a backseat role to that. He just kind of wants to look out for his kids. He's kind of like, look, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to do the right thing here. But he's not afraid to get his hands dirty when he realizes he needs to. Uh, and I think our other characters are in a similar position, right? Matthew McConaughey is the king of the jungle, self-ascribed in this film, a lion, as it were, uh, who is defending what what he already owns. And Henry Golding is the up-and-comer who wants a piece of it. And so you get a little bit of a kind of gang war kind of thing going on, which is a lot of fun, especially when we have our unreliable narrator, Hugh Grant, stumbling through explaining the whole thing. There's some definitely some comedy in the writing, and that's something yeah. I enjoyed, though. I'll be honest, I didn't get a whole lot of laughs. I, I laughed once in this film. It was a good laugh. Otherwise, there's a whole lot of kind of cheeky, smiling-in-your-seat humor, um, yeah, but not a it, whole lot of out-loud stuff. It's not near as funny as, as some of his other uh, films in this genre um, have been. Yes. Uh, I wanted to talk about the, the action. So th- that's part of what I think... Uh, like I said earlier, the, there's sequences that, that work really well, and so we get we get a lot of that where there's uh, either you know fist fights or this gang's fighting that gang or there's shootouts or there's you know really tense meetings, and so this kind of happens all throughout the films with a number of of different characters. So we we keep that entertained, and again that works really well. There's a there's a great scene where um, you know Colin Farrell's gang ends up fighting Matthew McConaughey's gang, you know over resources and you know it you get so you get the action part of the this action movie um and those work real well independently but then i get like i said it doesn't make sense overall sometimes no and and there's kind of an emphasis on like social media and technology in this movie in a weird way uh our our gentlemen as it were are very old school right they're wearing tailored suits they they keep their business simple they 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 drink lots of tea but kids in this movie the youth especially colin farrell's kind of uh, gang of miscreants they're all about having their phones out and filming everything and and it it, it kind of creates some problems for our characters at certain points especially with hugh grant our reporter who is actively taking photos of things uh, throughout the film uh people are are watching and and these guys just can't get away with the kind of dirty business anymore you can't just shoot somebody and get away with it. Now somebody's going to film it. It's going to go on social media. Somebody's going to keep track of stuff. It's going to go viral. And I don't know if that's 
Guy Ritchie's way of kind of critiquing that in the time we live in now or or just making fun of it. I'm not sure, but it's definitely relevant. Uh, uh, yeah, he's... It, it, that, that yeah. feels like like the biggest update, um, you know, from because the, the the those older films not for, are from 1998 and 2000, which was kind of pre felt uh, like cell phone boom, especially the smartphone phone boom. So that kind of huge piece of technology is has changed a lot of things in the real world, and and it, it shows that in in the film as well. Yeah, which you know I don't mind. It definitely feels like a modern movie, and and that is a lot of fun. Um, it, it creates a couple of funny moments. There's a great scene in one of the trailers when uh, Charlie Hunnam's character Ray uh, is dealing with a very unfortunate accident of one of his essentially victims, uh, and and three young boys film it on their phones. And as soon as he realizes they're filming, he tells his goons, "Hey, everybody, get a phone!" And they all start chasing after these kids because it's like, okay, well, we got to stop them. Um, it definitely creates some some kind of tension and problems for us. Uh, it's also modern in a way that's a little bit self reflexive. The our our reporter is working on a movie script, right. which <laughs> is like a subplot of a subplot, which kind of comes around later. And and that felt weird. I was like, I don't know if this is Guy Ritchie trying to say something about the state of Hollywood now or what. I don't know why you'd put a movie script for essentially the film you're creating in your movie it's it's real meta in a way that didn't quite land with me and is probably confusing to folks but he's trying to say something i think it just doesn't quite come across mm-hmm. yeah there's also the this whole thing about um matthew mcconaughey is you know has this marijuana empire but part of the reason it's so profitable is that it's it's illegal but they know that legalization is coming so that's kind of a plot point as well as you know how do we transition from illegal thugs into legal thugs once uh, legalization comes. Sure. And also being a gangster is bad, of course. And and there's definitely the occasional murder in this movie, uh, occasionally for comedic effect even. Um, but there's a very staunch statement in here about uh, what drugs are good and what drugs are bad. Uh, everything from marijuana to cocaine to coffee and caffeine to heroin. Uh, what What is okay and what isn't. Uh, it draws some lines that are intriguing to kind of sit back and look at uh, and, and probably all misguided. But for what it's worth, like, I appreciate that there's a little bit of philosophy in there. There's a little bit of... There's a little, little bit of something more, a metaphor, as, as it were. It's not just quite as simple as a bunch of guys trying to steal a gun in lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I started reflexing on the movie. I, I think I'm ready for recommendations. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else I particularly enjoyed. The music wasn't really anything to write home about. I enjoyed the editing, even though at times it was a little confusing. There's one scene in particular when... Hugh Grant and Charlie Hunnam are trying to provide voiceover for a translated scene of other characters who are secretly filmed, which is really weird and confusing and not particularly well put together. But ultimately, uh, we should get to recommendations, I guess. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman? Yeah, I think I would. I, I had a really good time with this movie, despite it, its problems. It's it's funny. It has a great cast. It's entertainment, ent- entertaining. You get action. You get, get some really interesting characters. Overall, it was a good time at the movie, so I would recommend it. I would recommend it as well. Like I said, I, I am a sucker for Guy Ritchie's kind of earlier work. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I know it's got issues, and it's a little confusing, but like... 
man, you could do so much worse for for watching a movie, right? If it comes to video on demand or Netflix or whatever, if you don't go see it in theaters, because based on box office numbers, nobody is, uh, which is not great for Guy Ritchie. But uh, if you get the chance, like watch it at home, like pop open a bottle of wine with your favorite significant other uh, or have a couple of beers and hang out and watch this movie. Like I I really do think it's fun, even if it might be a little confusing to the average viewer. um, I think it all comes around. It's engaging. It's got good action. There's some good tension. I had a lot of fun with the gentleman. So I, I would recommend it. Two, two thumbs up. And with that, we should move on to our next section. Um, this is normally what we'd reserve for kind of middle talk, right? In the middle of the show, uh, a topic of sorts, maybe a big news story. Uh, we were struggling to find one this week after having taken two weeks off. Um, <laughs> we've kind of settled on something that is not super endearing. Uh, but, you know... Movie news is weird sometimes, so let's <laughs> just jump right into it, I guess. Andy, do you wanna do you wanna helm this one or should I? It's time for the death of cinema. So I just today read this uh, article uh, saying that the 2011 film Contagion hits top 10 on iTunes movie chart amid coronavirus outbreak. Um, Of course, that's referring to the uh, Wuhan coronavirus uh, that is outbreaking right now. There's uh, fear of an epidemic in in China. But that's um, that's not deterring people from watching films kind of based on that. In fact, it's probably encouraged uh, people's interest in in certain uh, outbreak-style films. Um, So Contagion was was the one that uh, is number 13 on the iTunes download charts, uh, strangely enough. It's really strange. Uh, You're seeing this movie next to movies like Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite and even Hustlers. Uh, Suddenly, a 2010, right, 2010 picture is rocketing to the top of the charts. 2011, I'm sorry. Uh, For anybody who hasn't seen Contagion, uh, I actually haven't seen it. Andy has, though, uh, just to give a quick byline on it before he can probably jump in with more details. Uh, It's a Steven Soderbergh film with a surprisingly good cast. uh, Marion Cotillard, uh, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Kate Winslet are all in this film. And I didn't see it. So, Andy, anything worth writing home about here? So, you know, it's an Outbreaks film uh, in the in the tradition of something like Outbreak from 1996. But what this does is it takes a very grounded, very um, kind of realistic a- approach. Like, you know, what? how would the government respond? How would people respond? What were, like, if there was, like, a really bad pandemic? Um, so it, it, it's very grounded in, in reality. Um, and then there's people... Uh, I forget what all the characters, but I know that Kate Winslet and Lawrence Fishburne are like CDC people who are going into like the, these hot zones to try to get information, try to make sure what see what's happening, try to find a cure. Um, but it, it's it's realism that 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 really um, I, I think makes the film interesting. Something like Outbreak has kind of a ridiculous uh, plotline at, at some point where they're just we're going to nuke the whole town. Uh, <laughs> so that, that that's a little ridiculous. But like I said, Contagion stays firmly. Uh, put in, in the world of reality and I think that's why it's 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 so interesting yeah and it's a strange thing to see it doing so well I mean it it it, it very <laughs> with the outbreak of the coronavirus it's hard to deny that the, the byline for this film a deadly China-born virus going global and leading to mass chaos uh 
is not a little intriguing. Uh, it's, it's hard <laughs> to deny that that's not a little interesting considering where we're currently at. But I mean, to me, maybe I'm just a, a safe little American over here in my apartment. Uh, uh, but this seems like a bit of an overreaction. It's worth mentioning that that apparently the Chinese box office at movie theaters is doing terribly right now because nobody's going out to see movies, at least in this area of the country, because people don't want to go out and get sick. Um, so maybe people are staying in and watching movies on iTunes. Maybe that's what's going on. Right, exactly. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just following a trend that people are seeing it on the top 10 list and going, oh, okay, hold on, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll watch that. Maybe people missed it and it seems new. I'm not sure. Um but it's odd. It's odd that this would do well in a time when like real consequences are happening in the world, right? Well, well, well you know, I, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, I think people are probably just Googling things like outbreak, you know, for, for news or for informational purposes. And it's pulling up some of these movies. And so they're like, oh, let me see what that about. It's a great cast. Uh, you know, and it's kind of about the same subject. The other thing is like, uh, you know, people are handling this. Um, you know, I have a couple of friends in China and I was asking now, what, how are, what's the temperament like? What's, what's it like over there? And, yeah. um, I mean, it, it's about as serious when, you know, we had the Ebola outbreak a few years ago here in Dallas and most people just sat around and make memes and jokes. And that's about how it is over there. Most, most people are pretty lighthearted about it. And that's one of the ways of coping. And also, uh, you know, numeric statistically, it's still a very small amount of people that are being af- affected by it. Um, comparatively. You're, you're of course referring to, uh, the Ebola, Ebola drome, I think is what they called it. Outbreak of 2014, right? When one, one that's... person came to Dallas that had it and it was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, that was serious. People, people got, testy about that that was on the news all the time that was a whole thing you know this is not something worth joking about obviously uh it's it's a very serious thing memes aside because there's plenty of them um (laughs) i i guess i i i'm not surprised but at the same time like it just seems like such an intriguing trend this is one of those things people do right like people like watching movies they're similar to what's happening in their lives um it's like true crime you know, a little bit obsessed. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, uh, I think if you're going to watch an outbreak movie, if you're looking for a recommendation, I'm sure contagion is okay, but you could probably do better. So with that, Andy, I'm curious, <laughs> any recommendations for favorite outbreak films? Well, uh, like I said, the outbreak film itself from, ni- I think it's 96 with a uh, Dustin Hoffman is Morgan is Freeman, kinda... and Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Right. So that, that's a, a classic of its, own in a lot of ways but it is like i said it, it leaps out of the the realm of of reality um i'm reminded of something like 28 days later yep uh, that's what i was and it's, say. It's, yeah. it's hard to talk about this without automatically seeping into the zombie genre by the it's way true. yep yeah, yeah yeah you're right uh and then i yeah i was also reminded of the the netflix movie that we watched last year with um Mar- martin freeman um where he slowly turns into a zombie in, in the outback, but I can't remember the name of it. I was just so thinking you take that. this from here and I'm going to look that up. I don't remember what that movie was either. Yeah. I, I was going to say 28 days later, uh, starring Killian Murphy is a fantastic, uh, very patient, very low budget, uh, film, uh, 2002 British movie directed by Danny Boyle, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I am legend. The Will Smith movie from 2007, back when Will Smith was still turning uh, lead into gold at the box office and could do no wrong. I Am Legend came out and a lot of people were really into it. Um, Dawn of the Dead, whether you're going to go uh, the original George A. Romero or Zack Snyder. Both very different films, uh, both a lot of fun. Uh, Children of Men, 
If you saw oh, that movie, yeah, yeah, yeah right. 2006 science fiction fi- science fiction film uh, by Alfonso Cuarón, who recently made um, The Revenant, uh, Gravity, Harry Potter three, um, and there's something else he did recently. My God, how can I not think of this film? I don't know. Was that Birdman? Any, anyways, uh, Cargo was was the the one with Martin Freeman. Cargo, um, yes, we watched that for the show. Th- That's on. Does yeah. the thing count? As an outbreak film? I would argue The Thing counts as an outbreak film. <laughs> Look at yes. that. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was a lot of fun. I, mean, I think we watched that for this show. Uh, that one was a really good kind of outbreak movie. Um, I guess you'd say something like Bird Box? Technically, we didn't watch it for the movie, for the show, but I... I might I say something like Prometheus. Okay. Okay, yeah, I could get on board with Prometheus. Not bad. Because they're trying uh, to make sure that thing doesn't get off the... Off the planet. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll go to entries. I didn't think I'm about burnt out. All burnt out. You're right, though. It is it is stark, like, how quickly you'll move into zombie films uh, when you talk about out, outbreak movies. Um, but, it, you know, it is. Oh, God. I'm looking at a list of uh, best outbreak films, and Dallas Buyers Club is on here. That's horrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that is really tacky. Joke. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we should move on. Uh, with that being said... Um, I guess hand sanitizer, guys. That's that's the lesson here. And don't don't you do not need to go watch Contagion, or at least don't pay for it on iTunes. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. Good God, why 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 are we slighted to have this weird gallows humor? I don't know. A- anyway, uh, we should move on to our final film of the episode. I'm gonna be taking the summary on this one, and it's a little. It's a little dry, so excuse me if I stumble on occasion. The movie is Netflix's The Two Popes. Confidential church documents were allegedly leaked to the press. Alleging corruption and misconduct among the clergy. I hope this business is not too distressing. Does a shepherd run away with the wolves up here? Popes can't resign. If you do this, you will damage the papacy forever. I can no longer sit on the chair of St. Peter. You're mistaken. You are serious. I cannot play this role anymore. So The Two Popes is an intimate story of one of the... I guess the movie would argue most dramatic, largest transitions of power in the last uh, uh, two thousand years of, of religion and Christianity. Um, <laughs> after uh, the previous pope dies uh, in 2012, I think it is, uh, the cardinals in the Vatican, of course, uh, of the Catholic Church, are, are brought to elect a new pope. Uh, after a little bit of deliberation, they decide uh, pope Benedict, who played by Anthony Hopkins, will be the new pope. Uh, his, his kind of one other real contender... Uh, played by uh, Jonathan Price, Pope Jorge Bergoglio. Uh, yes, uh, well, he's Pope Francis, okay. I right. think. When he's becomes uh, yeah, That's Pope true. Benedict it's, and Pope Francis. Let's just call it. Let's make it simple for the people at home. Uh, okay. Pope Francis, who was really the one other guy who's kind of in the running against him, decides, you know what? I'm going to just get out of the church altogether. This isn't for me. And realizing how bad it would look if if kind of the one other opponent to him immediately ducked after the election uh pope benedict anthony hopkins summons pope francis to come to the vatican and spend time with him and and figure out hey why are you getting out of this why were you in the running in the first place 
and 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 what's really going on here. So the film centers around essentially a day where these two men are spending time together and learning more about each other and really learning each other's kind of ideologies. Uh, Pope Benedict sees the world as very black and white, very Old Testament. All right, God is great and powerful and terrible sometimes and will smite people who need to get smited. He does not believe in things like homosexuality. Abortion is completely off the table. That's not okay. Meanwhile, Pope Francis, played by Jonathan Price, is in the opposite corner. He believes God is ever-changing and growing, just like people, and, and that maybe in the 2,000 years the church has been condemning things that are so bad, the world has been moving on just like God has been moving on, and maybe the church should embrace that in the future, you know, embrace things like homosexuality and abortion. Not to say that those things are necessarily okay, but that there's a place to have a conversation about it. You have two very different ideologies from two very Catholic popes. The movie is The Two Popes. Andy, what did you think of The Two Popes? Uh, before I get into that, sorry, I need to correct one thing. So Please. the Pope Benedict was elected, I think, in 2007 or so, because he was Pope for a while, like seven or eight years. Oh, okay. And, and, and then he resigned, and that coincided with Pope Francis, who was at that time Cardinal uh, Bergoglio. He was going to retire, and so that, that was kind of the reason. But that's not really what the film is about. The film is about these two men um, and a, an ex, a change of power because Pope Benedict, uh, played by Anthony Hopkins, realizes that you know he may be like you said traditional conservative Old Testament, um, but he realizes it's not working. It's like he he realizes that change does need to happen, but it does he can't do it. It it has to be something else. And so you know the film is about these two men talking about the, you know their two ideologies. Um, and which are very contrast at, at the very beginning. Like they have a very uncomfortable conversation uh, towards the beginning of the film where you, where Pope Benedict is basically, so you disagree with everything I say and this, and they, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tense thing, but they slowly, they don't necessarily begin to agree with each other, but they, they become friends over kind of the, the course of these, these few days where they're talking about this tra tra transition of power and they begin to understand one another and, and, kind of just support each other and we also get a backstory into a uh, pope francis's upbringing in history as as a priest in a car and a cardinal in argentina having to deal with uh the dictatorship in the 70s which he had to make some very difficult uh decisions which you know ended in in loss of life and uh he kind of had to choose the lesser of two evils so we get his backstory and how he was brought up to the through the church and how he's ended up uh where he is uh, now, I, I thought this was a, a really well-made film. It is a little dry, but I, I think it's it's a fascinating look at you know the the changing world versus the established tradition versus modernism and kind of finding finding that middle ground and you know this friendship that that blossoms from that. Yeah. So let's I, I for the most part agree uh, with with everything you said uh, and let, let's jump into that I think the first place to kind of get into this movie is the plot uh, like I said at the top uh, our, our two leads here have been nominated for Academy Awards for the performances in this film I'd rather get through the plot first and, and kind of structure before we get to their performances because I think um, that's just the better way to explain this film uh, like I said in the open um, essentially what this film is a day in the life of these two very different kind of uh, ministers in, inside of one, uh, one, one congregation, the Catholic Church in the Vatican, basically debating 
I mean, fundamentally, that's what they're doing, debating ideology. And, and mm-hmm. with one of them, Jonathan Price, Pope Francis, doesn't really know what the goal is. And, and, and Pope Benedict, on the other hand, kind of has an ultimatum, which is, I, I think you might be the person to pick this up after me. Um, in fact, throughout the film, uh, Pope, Pope Francis, Jonathan Price, is trying to resign actively. He's trying to give him papers mm-hmm. to, like, please sign this so I can get out of the church. And Pope Benedict won't have it. He's not. Yeah. He's not doing it. Anthony Hopkins will will not do it because he's got the exact opposite goal in mind. You need to be running this thing for me. Um, Pope Francis does not see himself as a leader, and and the the parts in the Vatican which are supposed to be 2012. I was going to say modern day. I think work brilliantly. I think I think these two men talking agree, together work fantastically. I, I think that is due to their performances, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I think that stuff works great. The other half of this movie, which is intercut throughout it, is flashbacks to Pope Francis's life, Jonathan Price's life. I did not care for that stuff at all. I I was bored. I I really didn't care. I I I don't need I don't need the backstory behind one of our two popes to to make the two characters interesting and intriguing. It didn't really help me at all. I I just kind of got bored, and maybe that's the problem with watching a Netflix movie at home, but like I really struggled during those bits. I was like, just get back to the two, just get back to the two Academy award nominated actors. You know, that's, that's the yeah. goods here. <laughs> I, I, um, so with the flashbacks, I felt like I wanted more. Like if you're going to do the backstory, do more backstory like that. Cause the whole, I didn't understand the, like kind of the dictatorship situation. Like they, they don't explain it very well. And, I, and I'm, un, it's unclear what the decisions he had to make were and why they were so uh, kind of, why they had had some really grave consequences, but to just kind of the, what was happening with the government at that time isn't explained well. And like, to me, I, I if you're going to do backstory, it's just got to be more, I guess. Yeah. And, and I think I land in the same boat. It, to me, I kept waiting for it to cut to um, Anthony Hopkins backstory when he was a younger man and it never does it, it's just one of them and like that felt a little one-sided um I, I think what's so strong about this film is exactly what it says on the tin the two popes the two of them talking conversing sharing ideas debating ideas i think that's what really works about this movie i think the stuff in the background is cool the, the stuff the stuff in the past is neat but ultimately i don't think it really does any service to the larger film as a whole um which is a problem because fundamentally that is about half the movie. Um, that being said, uh, I really, really enjoyed kind of the modern conversation and I've, I've weighed in a lot on that, Andy. So I'm curious, what did you think of that? I liked that as well because it, it's very, very nuanced. Um, you know, cause like I said, uh, Pope Benedict has, he's very fire and brimstone or, you know, he's, he says we're, we're here protecting 2000 years of tradition and you know does and they have very kind of interesting conversations about like you know is does does god change all all you know through every age or if he changed for this age then you're you know you you're going to change for every age and then pope pope francis has you know just an entirely different view of, of their their concept of of the church and all that and how how it relates to the people and and that's really what it's it's about the people for, for both men, but do they just see it kind of how they, they shepherd their sheep is much different. Yes. And, and there's a ton of religious analogies in there. Like you said, shepherd their sheep, uh, uh, leave their flock. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff in there. And, and like the way these two men, these two men who are supposed to be the two most powerful men in this entire global religion, uh, 
can just kind of candidly explain to each other, look, here's how I see it. No, here's how I see it. And, and debate the foundations of what so many people are supposed to believe is fascinating to me. And, and, and the way this movie is put together, the way the writing is told, especially the way it's acted, is, is, is crafted in a way that is understandable to me, watching it at home, which is fantastic. On top of getting a really cool look at the Vatican, which I don't think this was actually filmed at the Vatican, I'm sure. I'm sure this was filmed in a studio set somewhere. Um, it, it's so engaging, and it's such a yeah. great look behind kind of the greater Catholic Church in Vatican City. And also how the Pope thinks and what he does and kind of how he goes about his day and who he can and can't talk to and what he can and can't do. Um, fascinating. Fascinating look at a position of power that I'm really not familiar with. Yeah, I'd be int- really interested to see where they filmed a lot of this. I think some of it must have been in, in the Vatican and some not. But even things like the, you know, they, they recreate uh, the voting with all a hundred and whatever cardinals and it's, you know, these big kind of set pieces, you have a lot of people, they're all done up in, in costume and it, it looks really uh, impressive. Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, uh, and, and we should probably slide into performances. Of course, uh, Anthony Hopkins as, as Pope Benedict is uh, formally, his character is German. I think of yeah. origin, he has brown eyes, which I think were CGI for this film. They didn't look like contacts to me and he's great. He's, he's he's stern and he's specific and he's got a bit of a temper and and he's he's some really good Anthony Hopkins. Jonathan Price, meanwhile, playing Pope Francis, is very open-hearted and very accepting of people and very humble and 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 very lives a very simple life. And both of them are so different, and they're both played by these powerhouses, Hopkins and Price. They're tremendous, and, and and to me, watching the movie, it's easy to see, watching their performances, why they were nominated. They're both so good in this movie. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think, you know, it's interesting because they're both lead roles, but I think Jonathan Price definitely has, is the more lead role because he has all the backstory, but he, he has a lot of really great scenes, and I was I was unsure how, how like, why they were nominated because it's just two guys talking, so I, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I, I was really um, blown away by his performance, both of them, uh, but especially Jonathan Price. He has, he has so much pain in his eyes when he's describing a lot of these difficult scenes or difficult times he had to make really difficult decisions and, and it's a shame you don't get this the same with anthony hopkins uh background as well yeah it really is like i think that would have offered a more even keel approach to the film and not so one-sided but visually it's engaging i should say on the one hand uh our costume design our set designs is fantastic like i said it, it looks like they filmed in the vatican for all i know uh, uh i don't know where they shot a lot of this movie but it looks tremendous the cost the, the, the costume design's outstanding every robe is perfectly pressed and perfectly tailored and they, just the right shade of red or black or white or whatever it needs to be to look like they shot in the vatican it's really good stuff and, and it's worth mentioning it was directed by i had his name just pulled up uh fernando uh marie uh Marie, i think <laughs> morales is that how you say it? morales uh yeah. who formerly directed the constant that, yeah. gardener <laughs> and 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 blindness oh, really? which i never saw uh, i actually haven't seen either of those films i've heard great things also shot by his same cinematographer um that is where i start to stumble in this film, the way it was shot. And Andy, I don't, I don't know if you have anything to speak towards on that. Uh, I can, I can kind of spin off if you like, but it, the, it the cinematography really, in this movie is a choice. I, I should say that. Uh, I mean, it, it was really filmed in the modern stuff feels documentary style. 
you know, and they do use a lot, a fair amount of real TV footage from the, the two Pope papal elections. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely has, has, and I think that's part of what made it a little bit more difficult to watch is it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like a lot like a documentary. Um, and I didn't realize you left out, um, city of God, which is probably one of the best movies ever made that he, he directed about, uh, Portuguese. It's about Brazilian kids in the slums of, of, of Rio de Janeiro. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah, it's featured here on his IMDb. I was going to say, well, that's not one of his known fours on IMDb, so clearly you're wrong, but it is. <laughs> you're totally right, City of God, yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely... And I haven't seen any of those films. I, I, I think they're all probably pretty good, so I should have seen those, but uh, I, it's documentary style. It also kind of reminded me of, like... It, it's a lot of digital zooms, right? Uh, in a lot of cases, it seems like they put the camera kind of far away and zoomed way in which gives you a great handheld look, but like it's a whole lot of visual action and camera action for like two old guys sitting in a courtyard talking. It's a lot. And like, I'm not saying it had to be toned down, but like there's, there's cuts in this movie that felt like I was watching something out of the movie crank. I was like, who is working the camera back there? What is going on? And looking at the director and cinematographer's past work, it was a choice. They intended to do that. This is not something they do across all of their films. This was a specific choice for this movie. And it works, I guess. To me, it was really distracting. Uh, um, but, you know, different strokes from the folks. I guess I hadn't thought of it as a documentary kind of thing. That actually probably would help me <laughs> help me embrace it a little bit more. Did you have trouble with that, Andy, or just me? I didn't really notice it, uh, but there is a definitely a definite distinct style between the modern stuff, which is more documentary than the old, the flashback things are a lot of it's in black and white. A lot of it's like the four by three ratio. And then, uh, more, it's more cinematic, the stuff in the, in the past. So it's definitely a little disjunct. Yeah. It, it, it jumps around a little bit, but ultimately I, I think it's better than the sum of its parts. Like I, I actually really enjoyed this movie. There's this kind of ideological conversation about, Hey, what is it? What does it mean to worship a god that's, as we understand it, 2,000 years old? Is is that is eternal? Is his love eternal? Does does it change? Does it shift? That's really cool. That's really cool. And it's it's tremendously written and tremendously well acted uh, by these two men. And, and I really thought the world of those moments. I struggle with the cinematography. I struggle with the flashback stuff. But hey, that... that is probably more for other people than it is for me that, you know, don't take my word for it, I guess. So, Andy, any other thoughts before recommendations? Uh, no, I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Netflix's the two popes? I would for certain audiences. And it's obviously a, a family, well, somewhat family friendly, uh, film. Some of the, some of the flashback stuff is a little difficult. It is really dry. It's two hours of two guys talking and debating, uh, religious theology, um, so it's definitely, I, I think if you are in, if you are Catholic or if you are the, of the kind of Christian den- denominations, religions, you'll probably find it I- interesting. If you're not, I, I was still in, interested by a lot of it. Cause like I said, it's more about the transition of power and the, and the going from the old to the new, from tradition to, to modernity, um, it, which you can relate that to lots of different organizations, and 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 again, how these these two people they're they're not rivals, but they're kind of adversaries at the beginning, and they develop a friendship as they're trying to discuss all these matters. Yeah, I I would recommend it as well. I think uh, it's definitely a drier film. It's a more intellectual film. You're going to be doing a lot of 
kind of quiet thinking to yourself as you're watching it, but it's so refreshing uh, in a way to see two two older men in in two in a very old place talking about very modern ideals homosexuality abortion global warming climate change are talked about in this movie and what the catholic church should do about that if anything you know that's fascinating especially from kind of a far away voyeur perspective especially with the way the movie's shot uh, there's definitely some kind of Cool happenings about how the Catholic Church elects a new pope. I, I didn't really know about, so it's certainly educational. Um, I, the performances are great. I liked it a lot. The two popes, not too shabby. You could certainly mm-hmm. do worse. And there's a reason these men are elected or are nominated for Academy Awards. And I think the proof's in the pudding. And with that, we should probably wrap the show for the week. Uh, Andy, what are we watching next week? <laughs> We haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> That's right. You know what? I want to go with uh, Gretel and Hansel. Okay. I think. Let's let's do that. So so the two big releases next week are Gretel and Hansel, the, I think, A24 horror film uh, that looks certainly edgy. Uh, the other one is Blake Lively's The Rhythm Section, which, I, like we talked about before the show... It's a yeah, it's a it's a revenge film that that suffers horribly from a, a case of terrible titleitis. Uh, the, the the title is terrible, and and I would never think a movie called The Rhythm Section would be an engaging movie uh, about Blake Lively getting revenge. Maybe it is. I haven't seen it, so I don't know for sure. Um, but I think we're gonna probably err on the side of horror and go with Gretel and Hansel for next week. We're also gonna take a look at Netflix's American Factory, which is a documentary uh, produced by the uh, Obama Foundation, right? And I don't really know anything else about it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. It is President Obama's film. Yes, uh, and and also nominated for an Academy Award for Best. Uh, documentary gonna gonna be doing some academy films as, as as we can as we go here to try to catch up with what's coming at the next academy awards uh that being said thanks for listening gang as always uh if you enjoyed the show if you liked what we're doing here uh drop us a rating and review if you can swing it or tell a friend we'd appreciate that too and if you're one of our new listeners hey thanks for swinging by it was a good time happy to have you we'll do it again next week uh check us out on facebook we're on twitter we're on youtube we're on instagram all that social media stuff. We're hanging out. Throw us a follow if you can. Maybe share if that's your scene. I don't know. You know. And and most importantly, if there's anything you can do, just subscribe. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes of our show every week straight to your phone so that you can be the first to hear new episodes of Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>